Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and this episode is brought to you by my sponsor, Certified Piedmontese. I have a great offer for you, so stick around later in the episode. I want to get that to you. Today, we're going to get into a subject that, as many of us learned while we were self-quarantining during the pandemic, is a heck of a lot harder than it looks. Bread. It seems so simple on the surface, but when you actually get into it, Bread and baking requires a lot more time, science, and know-how than I think a lot of people realize, especially on the surface. So to help kind of explain all of that and lay it out, my guest today is Peter Bass, the head baker at the Mercado in Lincoln. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for having me. So if people aren't familiar with the Mercado, it is a part of the certified Piedmontese campus um, in Lincoln. Correct. Um, it's a it's a great place to visit if you want to buy fresh bread, meat, condiments, even pre prepared meals, and you also produce bread and rolls not only for the Mercado but also for Casa Bovina, which is the restaurant that's associated with certified Piedmontese. Yep, it's our restaurant upstairs. Exactly. So now that we've laid all that out, we've made the introductions. We can we can get into our conversation. Now we all love carbs. And I think even decent bread can be delicious. But there's something about when you you know when you bite into just like a freshly baked loaf or baguette that someone has kneaded with their hands and it has been, you know, it just came out of the oven 10 minutes ago. It just has that great chew and it doesn't even need butter to be delicious. You know that you're in a magical place. What in your mind makes bread great? Great bread to me is something that is a very small amount of ingredients maximizing flavor with those. So we typically only use three ingredients for traditional hearth breads, uh, flour, water, and salt. Uh, Some will say four because we'll add yeast into some of them, but... If we're making a sourdough, uh, we will gather our bacteria from the air and have a culture that we use to leaven that sourdough. And we maximize those three ingredients to give the best possible flavors that we can. So wait, did you just say you'll grab bacteria from the air? How does that work? Uh, So bacteria and yeast are everywhere. In the air, on your skin... They're everywhere. So we can breed a colony inside a, you know, inside a container uh, by mixing flour and water together, uh, letting that sit at room temperature for a few days, and then mixing, take a little bit of that original uh, starter and put it into some more flour and water. Eventually you'll start seeing some bubbles. Once those bubbles are there, you know you have a bacteria colony growing within that that uh, culture. And from there, you're hoping that you have the right bacteria colony. So if it smells just a little bit sour, uh, doesn't smell bad, you know you've got the right ones. And if you want to actually send it to a lab, you can probably even discover exactly what bacteria and yeast are growing inside your colony, but I've never done that. Well, you have definitely set a record on this show for 
the quickest like science introduction. I mean, <laughs> I, I, and that's even just like the simplest of breads. You're talking about this. This is what this ornate. Did. This is what they did. You know, years and years, thousands of years ago. That's how they discovered leavened bread. It's amazing. Uh, and, and I love what you said about the simplicity. It, it reminds me of pasta, really, and that great pasta is really just two or three ingredients, whether you want to add eggs or not. But some people just say it's just flour and water, and you can make this um, just this blank canvas that you can turn into so many different shapes. You can pair it with different sauces, with different meats. You can do so much with such a simple starting place. And I think bread is extremely similar to that. That is, that is a great analogy. Uh, from from starting with minimal ingredients, you can turn it into so many different things as far as even, like you said, with po- an, uh, analogizing pasta, it can go to many different shapes, many different forms, and you can even change flavors slightly by what you do from starting to your end point. Mm -hmm. Now, I know, you know, you make some specialty breads as well that are going to require more ingredients, but just from meeting you, from getting a chance to, to talk with you before this podcast, I think you're a guy who likes to stick to the simple more and just do the simple extremely well you're nodding that that's correct yes. right okay yeah, yeah. I, I would completely agree that that i am much more of doing the basics perfectly than trying to experiment and do some crazy outlandish thing and hope it works yeah so when you see like bread companies throwing a bunch of i mean sugar is the easiest ingredient that's sugars in so much bread or I don't know if it's, you know, cinnamon's world, just all this different stuff in bread. Does it like hurt your soul a little bit where you're just like, man, you have this beautiful product. You don't need to put sugar in it. I I mean, so going with high production stuff, like when you're getting into really large production, I get why they need to do some of their things Mm -hmm. because they're looking for longer shelf life, quick fermentation, and... A product that is going to be the same no matter where they produce it, whether they're, and this is when you're getting into really large companies. So if you're producing a product that is here in Omaha versus, say, in the Pacific Northwest, you need to be able to create something that is the same so that when someone has it in either place, they know what they're getting. But when you're in smaller production, like when you're an artisan baking, you need to also have that same standard of creating a a uh, consistent product but your quality is should be higher than than that uh, mass-produced stuff right you make you make a good point in differentiating dif- differentiating those two things they are very different mass-produced breads versus what you're doing so i very I sh- different i should acknowledge that but i just i appreciate what you do so much more what do you think is the number one thing that's misunderstood about bread and or baking. How much time it takes. That is the biggest thing. Uh, I'm usually, so all, all of the sourdoughs that I make at the Mercado, they take anywhere from two to three days. Uh, so, and that include, that starts out with making a, let's, let's just focus on, on sourdoughs here. 
with this pre- time timeline that I'm going to draw out. We're going to start with refreshing our sourdough bacteria. So we're going to take a little bit of that sourdough that we've already started, add it to some more flour and water, and then that's going to take about 16 hours to ferment. And then the next morning we're going to mix a dough with it. So we're going to take that uh, that culture that we've created, we're going to put it into some dough, and then we're going to take that dough, make a loaf of bread from it, and then we're going to ferment that overnight. Uh, and then the next morning we're going to bake it. So that's, that is the quick and dirty of the process. But if you, when, sure, later on today we'll be diving deeper and deeper into that process. Mm-hmm. Well, I think an, another example, we actually got a chance to, to visit um, the, the bread station down at the Mercado a couple weeks ago, and, yep. and you walked us through a lot of the different processes or at least showed us some machines and stuff. And I, I can't forget, you showed us some croissants that were, that were proofing, and you were going into the production process of the croissants and how this chilled butter has to be rolled out and it has to be, you know, you have to make a layer and then put it back in the refrigerator and make another layer and put it back in the refrigerator. Like, when people bite into a croissant, you know, they, I don't think they even think that this took, I mean, you could fill in the blank there, how many hours to create. Exactly. So uh, a laminated dough like, so that was, that a particular bread that you saw was laminated brioche. It's something that we only serve uh, in the restaurant at the moment, but we will be serving croissants uh, in the Mercado once we finish a a remodel that we're going to do in there. We're going to add a little cafe. And the croissant process, I mean, we take like bare minimum for croissants, you could probably do it in 18 hours if you had a 24-hour operation. Yeah. You had people there mixing it early in the morning and then laminating in the afternoon, proofing through the evening, and then baking the next morning. You, you could do that. Um, the process for us, since we're just a few people, we're going to stretch that out into a two- or three-day process. Wow. What is the most difficult bread that you've ever baked or maybe since we're talking in terms of time what's the one that took the longest um i'd say the most difficult is going to be some of the more technical things that we that i do for the restaurant um just because they're small and ornate uh that's going to be the more difficult stuff it takes a lot of uh practice to get all of your like for the laminated brioche to get all the layers perfectly right to make sure that butter stays into a nice sheet as you fold it over multiple times getting thinner and thinner and thinner and making sure that it's still in one piece uh as far as the longest stuff would be our sourdoughs so all of our sourdoughs take three days and that's that's the longest process bread that we have right now that may change in the future uh there's some classical german rye breads that do take very long um like a a very traditional rye bread actually takes like 12 hours to bake oh boy so yeah so when you 
look at other other breads around the world there they do some interesting things uh a german rye like if you go very traditional 100% rye naturally leavened uh generally they'll stick those into a a wet oven at like 225 degrees and put a whole bunch of humidity into that oven so they usually inject steam into it continuously and that that will sit in there for about 12 hours and then they pull it out the next day Hmm. how many breads different types of bread are you producing let's just say in a week uh, currently our prediction is fairly low cause it's just two of us in there right now. So we're making five different sourdoughs and we're expanding that as we, this week, actually, we're going to add a couple more. Uh, we have, uh, dinner rolls, cinnamon rolls that we make and we do a couple of things on the weekend. We make some babkas and some tarts and stuff like that that also get produced and in, in the out of the bakery into the mercado. You've mentioned a little bit of this already, but I can imagine we've only scratched the surface on just how much detail and care goes into each of these breads and and they all have, you know, these these unique qualities to them, you know, like the croissants need to be chilled and then rolled out and then chilled again. And <laughs> this bread needs to be baked for longer. This bread, you know, might need to proof twice before it's baked. Like, how do you keep all that together in your mind, knowing that, okay, it's time to do this for this certain bread. Now I need to do this for this bread. Like, I just doing that with one or two would overwhelm me. Doing it with at least five sounds insane. Uh, so... We so before I introduce a new bread, I have to figure out I have to make that bread multiple times. So I do test batch after test batch of seeing how long each fermentation happens, how long the shaping takes, how long final fermentation takes, and I have to figure out where it's going to fit in our our typical day. Uh, our typical day starts at four in the morning. Uh, we get into the bakery. We begin baking off the sourdoughs that have fermented overnight. And then from there, we usually start mixing the following day's uh, bread. And so I know that if I'm starting mixing at about 4.15, 4.30, then I'll have them come off the mixer in about 15 minutes. An average mix time is about 15 minutes. Uh and I know that bulk fermentation, so what I mean by that is I take a chunk of dough, say it's about eight kilos, I'll put that into a bus tub, and I'll ferment that in that bus tub for a certain length of period of time. That That's our bulk fermentation. Uh, during that time, we'll be doing stretch and folds on each one of those doughs. Uh, that's bulk fermenting. And then after it's done bulk fermenting, we divide it. Uh, so that's d- uh, divided into the loaf size. And then from there it gets pre-shaped or directly shaped. And then that goes into uh, whatever form we're going to have the finished product looking like. So for most of the sourdoughs, we're putting them into for, uh, uh, baskets. They 
see how to describe these baskets. They're they're made out of a uh, rattan, which is a grass. Um, have you ever seen like a wicker basket? Oh yeah. Sure. So think like wicker basket, but instead of wicker where it's like a an eighth of an inch in diameter, these are made out of like quarter inch pieces of uh, wood. A little thicker. Yeah, quite quite a bit thicker, and. We'll place them in there, and then we'll stick them into our uh, dough retarder overnight, and then we'll see them in the morning. I'm exhausted <laughs> just listening to that. Yeah, I, actually doing that sounds like my hat is off to you. You're paying attention to the clock all day long because everything is roughly timed out. Um, you you can't go 100% by how much time it's taken to ferment because that factors into what temperature is and the humidity. So if you were in a perfectly temperature controlled room with the perfect humidity, you could control the time, but we're not in that type of a humidity. We're, we're a type of scenario where we're somewhat climate controlled. Like we have an AC and we have heat, but we don't have anything that's cha- that's controlling our humidity. We have to, we have to worry about that when we're there. Um, so, like, if anyone was inside there, they might see us with a spray bottle of water spraying the dough down at various points. Um, and so you kind of have to let the dough tell you what it needs, but at the same time, you can kind of dictate how much fermentation is going on by the temperature that, that it is in the room. Gotcha. You obviously have to work with the chefs at Casa Bovina, yep. Zach Midget and Todd Abood, to kind of listen to them, get their ideas, uh, collaborate, and then be able to produce specialty breads for the menu and, and whatever they're thinking of changing on uh, on the tasting menu or even just the, the, the normal menu. Well, what does that collaboration look like? Do you guys have set meetings? Do they come to you with just wild ideas and you say two of these things are possible, the rest are not. What does that look like? So generally right now, uh, how it looks like now is that just due to staffing, because we're, like I said, it's me and me and one other person in the bakery. Um, right now, I I tell them what, what I can produce. I've showed them. And so that they, they kind of have like an order guide, basically, so that they know what I can make, how much, like the quantity isn't a big deal. Cause I can, I can always make enough, but, uh, they have just like if you're at the, essentially like if you're shopping anywhere, you, you have a, a list of things that you can buy. That's what they're, they get, I've given them basically. And they tell me how much they want. I produce it for the day they need it. And, in the future, that's definitely going to change because I know we want to get into changing the bread program on a more regular basis. It's not going to change as much as the restaurant can change because the bread program, you know, it takes a little bit more time to develop one thing because fermentation has to happen. It's going to take time. So developing a recipe, but once a recipe's down, you should be able to reproduce it any other time. So that list should get longer and longer and longer as the as the bread program exists. And then from there, they can pick and choose and say, all right, 
I want this so that it's going to go with this course on their uh, menu. Mm-hmm. All right. We've talked a lot about bread and baking, but I want to get into a little bit of your backstory and learn okay. how you got into this profession. I found actually a story about your first foray into baking and it may have involved your mother breakfast in bed and a younger <laughs> version of yourself that was probably too young to be operating the stove at that time. What got you interested in baking originally? Um, so tell that story that that's my first memory of a real cooking experience. I tried making eggs Benedict for my mom, um, her birthday. I can't remember whether this was for her birthday or whether it was for mother's day because they fall very close to each other. Um, but I, <laughs> I was probably somewhere between six and eight, which I feel is way too young to be trying to, <laughs> trying to do this by myself. But my dad let me, uh, old man. And yeah. And I didn't get any serious burns or cuts or anything. So it worked, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I tried making, tried making, uh, eggs Benedict for my mom for, uh, breakfast in bed. Uh, the, you know, English muffin, that's pretty easy to toast up and, and do easy to heat up the ham cooking the egg to, to a right doneness is for, I, for a young child. I can't do that now. Much less <laughs> <at> six. <laughs> I don't remember how it turned out, but I, God bless my mom. She, she <laughs> ate it. I, I don't know if it was overdone or under and a hollandaise sauce. I mean, what kid thinks that they can make a hollandaise? I don't know. I sure it was terrible. I'm sure it was split. Um, but I, I know my mom still ate it. But uh, after that, many many years later, once uh, when I was about nineteen or twenty, I I started getting into baking then, and it was just little things here and there, making some pies a very little amount of bread. And I kind of thought, well, I should probably figure out what, whether this is something I want to pursue. And I decided to go to culinary school and I actually went for the savory side of things. So I actually just thought I was going to be a chef one day, uh, leading a restaurant, but that, that long story short didn't happen. Uh, so I, I went through culinary school and I started working at a steakhouse in Portland, uh, Oregon. And then from there, I went to Alaska. I had worked for a fishing lodge uh, for f- a summer. There, I kind of baked a little bit, mostly was... Uh, making lunches and dinners uh, for our guests. And then after that, I worked up for the oil and gas industry. I was uh, part of a catering company up there. And that's where I really got pushed into baking. Uh, this was much much more high production stuff than what I'm doing now. Uh, this was buying you know pre-made pie shells, pre-made croissant dough, but producing the best we can with what we got. Uh, but having to make a lot of it, like the particular camp that I, I finished working at up there, we had, we served about 500, 500 guys every day. 
and that three three meals three meals and snacks basically like we had cookies donuts uh rice crispy treats stuff like that that was always available 24/7 um and i went down from there uh i was visiting a friend out in Oakland, California, and I figured since I was so close to working or so close to one of my dream jobs, which is working for Thomas Keller, uh, I decided, you know, I'll just go hand in my resume to the HR department for a, uh, a big, a beginning, uh, position at the French laundry. They got my resume if anyone doesn't know, the French Laundry is like one of the most well-known and respected restaurants in the entire world. And Thomas Keller is like a cooking god. So a lot of my listeners probably know that name. I just want to make sure that we know exactly what you're talking about Absolutely. Here. Um, and so when uh, I got notified the, the next day that they wanted to do a stage. So that's a – we call that a working interview here in the States basically. Uh you go in, you you work for a few hours for free, and you kind of get to see what the kitchen, how it works. They kind of see how well you know your thing, your whether they whether you know what you claim to know or not. Um, and they 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 offered me a stage in Bouchon Bakery, and I was like, well, that gets my foot in the door. I mean, I'm at least working for the right company. Maybe in a few months, I can transfer over to the French Laundry. And I get there, and stage goes really well. Uh, I met with the uh, the pastry chef at the time. She was the one that was doing the hiring, and she offered me a job the next day. I called up the company I was working for in Alaska and said, send my stuff back to California. I'm not coming back, uh, And which is not a nice thing to do, but at least my boss, like, like this is my dream job. I, I'm not, I'm not coming back. Uh, they understood, but at the same time, you know, it's usually nice to give your employer a couple of weeks' notice. <laughs> uh, and again, it's not every day you get hired essentially by Thomas Kelp, not directly, but by his restaurant by the company. group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, it, this is a special circumstance. And so, uh, so it took me about um, three or four weeks until I could move all my stuff from Alaska down to California. And I got into the bakery and, uh, they actually hired a new head bread baker there, uh, who started maybe a week after I got there. Um, a really great, amazing baker by uh, the name of Douglas Gregory. Uh, he basically has been my mentor there for a year and a half while he was there. And, um, boy, I learned so much. Uh, that's really where I learned a lot of what I know now. And from there, I worked, worked for kind of the, doing the basics there at, at the bakery for about a year and a half. And then I got to doing the bread program for the French Laundry after that. Uh, so I did that for a little over a year, and it was a team of us of uh, three people that 
three full-time positions that worked just to do six different breads for the French Laundry. Um, and so from there, uh, I felt that I learned as much as I could at the time, and I went on my way to a few other bakeries around San Francisco. And then uh, a few years after that, I'm here in in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, making bread for the Mercado. And I definitely want to get into how you ended up here in Lincoln, Nebraska, but we have to rewind a little <laughs> bit because we're talking about the French Laundry, the Bouchon Bakery. Like, this is this is big-time stuff. And you mentioned at, at your previous job, you know, you were making stuff with pre-made croissant dough. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the learning curve for you going from that previous position and kind of being interested in baking, but I don't even know if you'd call yourself a professional baker to, at that point, oh boy, no. I'm, I'm working at one of the most uh, prestigious restaurants or restaurant groups in the world. What was that learning curve like? Uh, steep. <laughs> uh, I... I, you know, I, I had a good handle as far as the theoretical goes. Like, I, I'm fairly good at remembering what I've read as far as all the textbooks that I've read about baking and stuff like that. But I don't, at that point, did not have a whole lot of hands-on knowledge of how things are supposed to look like. So when you're doing a recipe without somebody there that knows what they're doing, you, you basically give it your best guess. And we all do this. If... If you don't have some sort of a video or some sort of mentoring there standing with you, you can only guess to what the outcome's supposed to be. Uh, unless someone's there showing you exactly when to stop the mixer, when to check uh, check the temperatures and stuff like that, you're guessing. And I guessed a lot while I was in Alaska. It still tasted good, but it wasn't let's say it wasn't perfect. But uh, once I finally got down there to Bouchon, like they... It has to be perfect. Yes. Uh, it's, it is a huge production there. Um, for such a small kitchen, uh, it is amazing how much they produce out of there. Um, millions of dollars in macarons every day, or every year hundreds of thousands of loaves of bread. Uh, I, I think back when I was there, if I remember right, the amount of flour that we went through in a year was like something like 150,000 pounds. It was some ridiculous number that, like, you see the flour getting delivered every day or every couple of days but you don't realize how much that adds up. And so it adds up real quick. Um, and every year they, uh, they would have a little sheet there saying how much butter we bought, how much milk, how many eggs we went through. And you're just like, I, it's baffling. Um, and so learned really quickly that you need to be quick. You need to be clean. You need to think ahead. Uh, that is probably the biggest thing is as you're working on something, you need to think about the five other things you're doing after this. Because if you, you're, you're going to waste time 
if you don't think about it now, you're going to waste time when you're done with this project about what to do next. So you got to be thinking about always what to do. And that was probably the, the hardest thing to, to learn right off the bat. Cause I, I don't know what their, their time schedules are and what happens and what, so that took a couple weeks to, to really nail down what, what has to get done uh, after I'm working with this particular piece of dough, what do I need to do next? Because it's not sitting there written down. You just got to memorize it and learn by doing it every single day. Cause it's the same thing pretty much every day. But that's a really tough skill, especially when you're doing something for the first time or, you know, for the first couple weeks or whatever, to make sure you're doing it right you want to have all your focus on this thing that you have right now you don't want divided attention yeah but at the same time you have to be thinking three steps ahead to know when i'm done with this how can i be the most efficient to move into you know uh task a b c after this how do you develop that skill by doing it every by surviving day. yeah you you gotta you just gotta learn by doing that and and that is a hard thing to do i I I don't really have a great way on on how to get that skill other than by doing and and I feel like you, with new trainees or people that are new to the industry like you got to give them a, a break cuz we've all been new and we've all been there where you don't know what's going on in this bakery like a, a particular larger bakeries you've got a dozen or two people in in a small cramped space and they're all running around doing their thing and you got to focus on what you're doing and not get distracted by anything else going around you and keep thinking about what is going to happen after you're done with what you're doing and you don't like the first day there's no way you're going to know and it takes a good couple of weeks Till you learn something and until you learn what that pro what that system of events is for every single day and there one thing that was nice about that that place is you know because they're so big is you are literally doing the same exact thing every single day it's just the quantities change basically so you know earlier in the week you might have a lower number of baguettes that you're shaping that day Whereas Friday and Saturday, you might do twice as much what you did on Monday. Still need to do it in a short period of time, but, you know, we also have tools that help us with that, like baguette molders and stuff like that. So you mentioned this was like a, a dream job, just this amazing opportunity for you and for your career, and it ended up helping you a ton. But that, I mean, it all just sounds so overwhelming, especially at the beginning where there ever any moments where you're just like, oh, shoot, like, what have I gotten myself into here? I, hmm. I can't think of any right off the top of my head. I, I can only, because this was, I mean, we're, we're going back seven years now. So I think when I started working at Bouchon, um, like I, I don't have any great memories of being so overwhelmed that I'm like, I, I don't know why I'm here. But cause I, I was, like I said, it was a dream job and I wasn't going anywhere. I, I moved, you know, I, I would say across the country, but it was from Alaska. Um, 
I mean, that was about as far as a move as, you know, California to here. And, you know, you're there. I'm there to work and learn. And that was kind of my attitude was I got to soak in as much information as I can while I'm here. And no matter what it takes, like, like there, there's no going back because I wasn't going to go back to Alaska. Uh, it was this, I, it, I love, while I love Alaska, the job wasn't the easiest. So other than learning to think three steps ahead, when you look back, what do you think was the most important thing that you learned from working out in California? I would say learning learning how to schedule your time with the baking process. So so what I mean by that is the the basic steps of your uh of your dough process is going to be mixing, bulk fermentation, shaping, uh, final proofing, and baking. And you want all of those things to finish roughly at about the same time so that they're fresh. Say, at the Mercado, we're trying to get all the bread onto the shelf at noon. So I want to make sure that everything is kind of ending at that noontime. So you start there and you work backwards to when you need to start a project. So for instance, if I, if I have a process that only takes a day, uh, let's say for instance, focaccia, that's one of our things that we make daily at the Mercado and it is a one day pro, uh, technically two-day process, but from mixing to baking, uh, there's going to be, it just takes one day. Uh, we make a pre-ferment the f- day before, and then uh, we mix it in the morning at about 6 o'clock, and then by 10 o'clock, we're usually baking it, and then it's out on the shelf, cooled down, bagged up, ready to go by 11.30-ish. So you mentioned, you know, you, you work at the Bouchon Bakery, you work at the French Laundry, you, I think you said you had a couple other bakery jobs out in yeah, California. Yeah, there was a small other bakery jobs. I, I worked for uh, a bakery that's no longer around in uh, Northern California. For, uh, they, they got shut down during, during COVID, uh, understandably, like many other businesses. Uh, then I also worked for a wholesale bakery, uh, I was a head baker there and we didn't sit, we didn't have a retail storefront. We literally just sold, uh, to other companies around San Francisco. Uh, and one of the biggest, uh, was actually Trader Joe's. Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. Did you know that just 1% of all cattle raised in the U.S. is Piedmontese? Or that this red meat is so healthy that it's similar in micronutrients to Atlantic salmon and chicken breast? Rare, healthy, and most importantly, delicious. That's a trio that just can't be beat. I'm so confident that you'll get hooked on certified Piedmontese beef like I did that I want to help you try it. 
When you visit Piedmontese.com and use my promo code HOPPEN, that's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, you'll receive 25% off your order. That's 25% off steaks, burgers, brats, sausages, and even bacon. Yeah, I said it. Beef bacon. It'll change your life. Use my promo code to score a great deal and experience why certified Piedmontese is such a big deal today. And now, back to my guest. So you're out in California. I need to know, what is your first thought when you get the call from Tony Encontro <laughs> here in Lincoln, Nebraska? He's at this company called Certified Piedmontese, and he, he wants a baker. What, what's your first thought? What do you remember about that call? Yeah, how the heck did I get out here? <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody in my family also was like, what, you're going to Nebraska? Like, what is that? Is that a country? Yeah. Like, why are you going out there? Um, so I, I get a, I, was it a call or a text? Either way, Tony, Tony hits me up and he says, hey, I'm working for this beef company out here and they might be looking for a baker. Would you be interested? I'm like, at the time I was uh, working a construction job and I was working uh for a friend's winery at the time. And so I was like, I'd be interested. I mean I, I didn't think that I would be working construction the rest of my life. So I was hoping to get back into a kitchen. Just in California a year ago wasn't exactly the best time to be getting back into a kitchen. Uh construction was doing a lot better. And so so I was like yeah, let, I'd be happy to talk to whoever's making that decision. And and uh, so had a conversation with uh, Shane, Shane Peed here at Certified Piedmontese. Uh, he told me what, what was uh, going on, why he thought that a bakery might be a good thing here, and asked if I could design, design a bakery, put what equipment I want in there and make it happen. And so uh, it's kind of an awesome dream to have someone tell you, hey, build build your dream bakery. The the only constraint is you got a thousand square feet. Like that and so I was like, yeah, I'll come over and do that. So I got some got some uh drawings of the the space actually before i moved out here started to get the the design going and that way we could place orders for equipment as soon as we could uh i got here last april so april of uh 21 and we the the entire build out process took until december 3rd of 2021 so we moved into that space just three months ago, four months ago, four months ago. So what does that process even look like when someone comes to you and says, design your bakery? I mean, there's, you've got to think about, you know, how, how are my processes going to fit into this? So like there's a natural flow to the space. What equipment do I need? Especially with bread, like how do I control the humidity? There's so many things to take into account. Where do you even start? Uh, I wish I asked more questions when I started. So I had no idea that your summers were so hot here and your 
They summer, are miserable. And the summer was Terrible. so humid. Um, did not realize that your winters, I knew they were cold, did not think that they were going to be so dry. I should have known that coming from Alaska, but uh, didn't think about that part. Uh, so, yes, workflow is the the number one thing. So we got to try and keep the hot areas away from the cold areas, for one. And two, we need to have a workflow that goes from, that follows that that bread-making process that I talked about earlier of mixing, shaping, and then baking. So, so at the bakery, we have... I've kind of quarantined, uh, I wouldn't say quarantine, but I've kind of made it so that the cold processes, which are like laminating doughs and uh, mixing, all of that is stored away in one section of the bakery, away from the ovens as much as possible. Because uh, the ovens are the hottest thing in there. Uh, our oven runs at 440 usually. And we bring it up to 500, 550 for other smaller doughs that we do. The Then <clears throat> from there, you also got to think about after workflow is how are your ingredients going to come into the bakery? Where are they going to get stored? Because you're not going to get deliveries on a daily basis. Uh, I get I can get flour delivery once or twice a week. And so... Once we get to the volume that uh, that we have planned, you got to be able to store however much flour it's going to take to produce that volume on three or four days of the week, plus having a little extra just in case because accidents happen, things go wrong. Uh, uh, the worst thing that I, I've had happen is somebody lost a Band-Aid inside a bunch oh, of dough. No. <clears throat> uh a a flesh colored band-aid at that. Uh-huh. So flesh color and dough are pretty close and so we had to throw out a hundred and fifty kilos worth of dough. Oh no. Yeah. because uh, <laughs> we couldn't find it. Even if we found it, I don't think we would have kept it. But uh yeah, that was that's probably been the most I've ever seen thrown out. Um so you gotta you gotta think about workflow and how that is going to, you know, trying not to have people walk over each other or work over each other because that that's not fun. Uh, having to be in a bakery where you're fighting for space, um, and so those are the two main things that I use to try and factor in how we we're going to do this. Um, and then, luckily, a few things have changed since the original design and. Once we actually started building, um, we were lucky enough to move the walk-in from inside my 1,000-square-foot space to putting it outside. So we were able to make it almost three times as large uh, so that we have plenty of freezing and cooling space uh, for uh, projects that go on in there. Because not only is it worried, or we're not only producing bread in there we're also going to be producing gelato and uh, a couple other things as the future goes on Mm -hmm. now correct me if i'm wrong but based off my research and our conversation so far this was your first experience running your own kitchen correct 
Um, I so I worked as a head baker in one bakery beforehand. Uh, I worked for Judy's Breadsticks out in California, and that was a head baker job, but it was just wholesale. So, okay. So we had no retail space, um, and which it was okay. We were in a warehouse making bread, so it was uh, it was interesting, but it worked. And she's been doing it for twenty five years now. So what is what is the the ramp up process for you, or how did you prepare yourself to take over the kitchen, the, the bread kitchen at least at the Mercado? In terms of okay, here here's what our bread program is going to look like. Here's what our schedules are going to look like. Uh, I need to hire an employee slash employees. I need to train them. H- how do you train yourself to take on all these new responsibilities? Uh, so I would say that some of that has come from past experiences. So I, even though I've only been baking for, you know, going on like eight, I'd say eight, nine years. Um, when I, I'd say I started up in Alaska, that was about nine ish years ago. And I've been working in the food service industry for 17 now. So I started working for Domino's. Uh, they, you know, they may be fast food, but one thing about working for chains is that they have their processes nailed down and that's, that's one thing that I think that, that a lot of people see may see as a negative. I don't necessarily see it that way because they have all your, all the recipes are nailed like they're done, they don't change. All the how to do something, that's all down, written down. Everything's, uh, everything is basically written in stone on how and how you do things and the proper procedures for everything. Um, and I've kind of taken from that a bit because bread, like recipes, they before they get sold to the public, we got to nail them down. We got to nail down fermentation times, roughly times, and procedures for how to shape everything. Uh, We got to make sure that it works within our time schedule, and that just comes with doing it over and over and over. Uh, Making small modifications if it doesn't work uh, to the way that you want it to. Uh, Then... As far as the hiring part and training, like that's that's just my belief as far as training goes is that you don't know something unless you're told. Like I, I gotta treat every person that comes through that door as a blank slate. And if you don't know how to do something, I'm not gonna get angry that you don't know how to do it. I'm gonna show you how to do it. Um I expect you to learn how to do it, but you're not gonna learn how to do something the first time you do it. You're not gonna learn how to do it the second time. You, you've got some time to learn it. And and once you learn it, though, you, you need to be able to do it the same way, uh, same way f- from that point. And so that's how I at least go about training. Um, you know, it, you know, your average person to train would take any like take anywhere from you know a couple weeks to a month. And every new bread that you bring on after that, they still need to learn it. So you still need to give them 
time to learn how to do that, that new process, because it's going to be new to them. Uh, you can't just expect, you can't just say, here's a recipe, follow it. Like, you got to show them. You got to make sure that they, uh, they understand and why certain aspects of it might be more important than, than uh, a different bread that you're making. And then as far as the, you also mentioned timing everything and how to go about that. I mean, you just got to figure it out. Yeah. You got to, you got to like for the first month I was there, like I was probably doing multiple 14 hour days in a row just because if something took long, I'd stick around until it's finished. And then the next time I would make changes so that I can minimize how much time it's going to take. Uh, or uh, with some recipes, you can you can stop. Uh, you can kind of put the recipe on pause, let's say, by putting something in the fridge or the freezer. Uh, and you know, a lot of recipes can do that. Not everything, but that's going to change recipe to recipe. And if something took me a 14-hour day to get from start to finish, I might think, all right, at bulk fermentation, I'm going to stick it in the fridge, and then I'm going to come back to it tomorrow and see if it can go from bulk ferment to baking in under eight hours. So that's just a lot of practice. A lot of practice. It's a lot like pretty much learning any job. You just you got to get into it, exactly. do it again and again, get a little bit better every time, figure it out. A little bit better each day is all we're shooting for. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Peter, and I, I thank you so much for your time. I want to encourage listeners to go down to Casabovina, try out Peter's different breads that he's got in the restaurant. Also, you can just go to the Mercado and, and pick up. The Mercado is probably the best place to get it because I've got more options there than what's in the restaurant. Right, exactly. And I actually... I have what I believe is a full and updated list, at least from the website. You have a San Francisco-style sourdough. Correct. Olive sourdough. Yep. Cinnamon rolls. Yep. Cranberry currant Campagna. (laughs) Campagna. I don't even know how to pronounce this stuff. It's so amazing. Pull-apart dinner rolls. You've got hot dog buns, beef fat brioche burger buns, and then two different types of focaccia, which I will personally vouch for the last time we came down my wife and i got a loaf of focaccia and i think it was gone within 30 hours if it even lasted that long <laughs> and full loaf we were just like eating it making sandwiches anything we could do with it it was absolutely delicious so yeah definitely go to the mercado and and get some loaves of bread there's all kinds of variety it's all very very high quality and we're we also have added you're going to see jalapeno cheddar sourdough in there. Yum. Uh, we're going to do a lemon rosemary sourdough. That's going to be added there pretty soon. And then uh, we're doing apple pie babkas every weekend. Ooh, uh, that's we go. going to be for the next few weeks. And we're going to, as spring gets here, we're going to start doing some mixed berry babkas. Sounds delicious. Even more reasons to visit. Yep. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks so much. All right. And Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.